This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. My name is Raheem Kassam, filling in. For Buck Sexton broadcasting live from the Freedom Hut here in downtown Washington, D.C. The phone lines are open this evening, ladies and gentlemen, because I want to hear from you. My favorite part of the show is hearing from you. So the telephone number, mark it down, is 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. We've got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, I want to talk about the, uh, the latest stories coming out uh, about Google uh, and their lies. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about uh, the latest with Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez as well. Of course, we'll be focusing in a large part on the shutdown, which is dominating the minds of the media at the moment. And we're going to get into why specifically uh, the media needs to keep pumping up this shutdown. CNN obviously carrying a uh, a shutdown clock (laughs) live on the side of the screen there. I'm not sure how many of you actually watch CNN anymore, but for those of you uh, that don't, that's what they're doing. Uh, I'm talking about the March for Life, which is coming up as well, uh, as well as that uh, Gillette advertisement. want to hear from all of you guys about that. And if you haven't heard about it, well, we'll get into it with my good buddy Terry Schilling in the next hour as well. But for now, I want to uh, I want to ask you guys the question: Who would have thought that a conservative journalist hopping uh, her house's border wall and erecting a caravan on her lawn would only be the second greatest troll that Nancy Pelosi was on the receiving end of this week? Yes, that's right. You may have seen the images and footage of the conservative independent journalist Laura Loomer highlighting the new Speaker of the House's uh, hypocrisy over the past few days. She has a wall on her house, and you're not allowed to go into her house. But that pales in comparison to what happened between Ms. Pelosi and the President of the United States, Donald Trump, today. Due to jet out of town on a military plane earlier on to Brussels, to Egypt, and ostensibly Afghanistan, uh, Ms. Pelosi and her Democratic delegation were grounded by President Trump following her own petulant attempts to stop him addressing the nation in a State of the Union address in just a few weeks. Yes, Ms. Pelosi, if you want to be childish, if you want to play politics with the apparatus of the state... Two can play that game, it seems. A terse and frankly hilarious letter was sent out by the White House today for Nancy's attention. I'll read it to you now. Dear Madam Speaker, Due to the government shutdown, I am sorry to inform you that your trip to Brussels, Egypt and Afghanistan has been postponed. We will reschedule this seven-day excursion when the shutdown is over. In light of the 800,000 great American workers not receiving pay... I'm sure you would agree that postponing this public relations event is totally appropriate. I also feel that during this period, it would be better if you were in Washington negotiating with me 
and joining the strong border security movement to end the shutdown. Obviously, if you would like to make your journey by flying commercial, that would certainly be your prerogative. I look forward to seeing you soon, and even more forward to watching our open and dangerous southern border finally receive the attention, funding, and security it so desperately deserves. Sincerely, Donald J. Trump. That is some top-level trolling from the president. But as with most things he does, whether or not you see it, or whether or not you get it, it had a meaning, a message to it. No, Miss Pelosi, you may not grandstand on this shutdown while refusing to negotiate and hot-footing it out of the country. And no, Miss Pelosi, just days after your Democrat buddies returned from sunning themselves on the beaches of Puerto Rico at the behest of lobbyists, you may not use the military to travel around the world no doubt wishing to grandstand there as well. In other words, not so much you're fired as you're grounded. Of course, President Trump offered Ms. Pelosi the chance to fly commercial for her trips. We'll see if she takes him up on that. Uh, but what has effectively turned, in, uh, turned into a tip for tat between the two biggest political figures in the country right now uh, was only finally called childish when it came to CNN analyzing the president's moves today now we know that historically the president of the united states isn't actually obliged to perform a state of the union live from the u.s congress he could simply send a letter or a video or perhaps a series of tweets but Ms. pelosi's attempts to stop the president addressing the nation from the pulpit of the legislature drew no such ire from cnn though that was reserved purely for President Trump. Uh, let's play uh, clip nine, if we can. Well, our nation's capital has officially become a playground, uh, Brooke. Uh, the, the president has responded uh, in sort of a childish way, is the only way to describe it, uh, to the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, uh, to her letter, essentially saying that the State of the Union will be postponed or uh, she asked that it be submitted in writing if the government is still shut down. This is the letter right here from the president, uh, the press secretary, Sarah Sanders, I guess in lieu of having actual briefings here at the White House, uh, just tweeted this out. It says, Madam Speaker, uh, due to the shutdown, I am sorry to inform you that your trip to Brussels, Egypt, and Afghanistan has been postponed. We will reschedule the seven-day excursion when the shutdown is over in light of the 800,000 great American workers not receiving pay. I'm sure you would agree that postponing this public relations event is totally appropriate. Childish says Jim Acosta. I think I agree more with Senator Rand Paul on this one. Let's play clip four. I think that's a real affront to the American people. And what I would suggest is that Senator McConnell's in charge of the Senate. Let's host it in the Senate. If she, This will be the first time in history that the House would deny a president the forum of speaking. If she's going to do that, let's hold it in the Senate. So where do you stand on all of this? A new poll shows, for whatever those are worth, uh, that the president is actually losing some support from his base over this shutdown. Is that accurate? Is that fair? Are you one of those people? I want to hear from you. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Um, or do you think all is fair in love and wall? Yes, I said wall, as in border wall. is the number. Either way, one thing I found particularly intriguing 
is that in the same polls, you know, they've been pumping them out all week, only about 24% of Americans say that they've been affected or had a family member affected by the shutdown. Could the Democrats be shooting themselves in the foot here in a much larger sense than just the tactics surrounding this particular shutdown? Could they be proving the, I guess, hardline libertarians right? The Ron Pauls who have been saying for decades that government is bloated, far too big, and pointing to plenty of evidence to back that up along the way. Showing that government is too large. That's what the Democrats are doing here. And that hardly anyone notices when it is shut down, apart from the government workers, many of whom are apparently extraneous. You know, I've spoken to a lot of people um, in uh, this administration over the past couple of weeks in departments all across Washington, D.C., and they tell me they're actually finding that the staff that are in attendance, you know, the, the, the workers that are needed to keep the departments ticking over, are actually finding it easier to work and getting more done because they're not being stopped, thwarted, frustrated by careers, people who have made their careers in government, people who do not back this administration, people who are, are there for the sake of a job rather than there for the sake of the service and certainly not for the sake of doing the administration any favors. That's what I'm being told. And there was a very interesting article along those lines in the, uh, in the Daily Caller this week as well. But those are just my views. Again, I want to hear from you, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. We're going to go to a quick break now. When we come back, Alan Bakari, the tech editor of Breitbart.com, will be joining us to talk about the latest stories vis-a-vis Google. Uh, it's fascinating stuff. You've got to hear uh, what these guys are doing, and more importantly, how they're misleading, it seems. Um, uh, more importantly, I want to get to your calls as well, so make sure you get on the lines. This is The Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. My name is Raheem Kassam, guest hosting live from the Freedom Height in Washington, D.C. I love that the call boards are lighting up already. Just hang there a moment. Uh, we've got Alan Bakari on the line, the uh, tech editor for Breitbart.com. Alan, good evening to you. Hi, Raheem. How's it going? Great to be on. Very, very well. Where, where in the world are you right now, Alan? I'm currently in London. Well, um, thank you for joining us so late in the evening there. Not at all. Um, Alan, so walk us through these uh, phenomenal Google exclusives that you guys have been breaking over the past couple of days. Um, you, you, have, um, you have effectively found that Google, uh, the Google CEO uh, has been telling fibs, perhaps, uh, over uh, what he told Congress regarding uh, the, the company's intervention in search results. Is that right? Well, what uh, Sundar I told Congress under oath uh, last month was that Google does not manually intervene on any search result. Uh, uh, what, uh, what I found, thanks to a, uh, a leaked discussion thread from inside Google that was passed to me from a source inside the company uh, that we published yesterday on Breitbart News, is that uh, Google does regularly uh, engage in manual interventions on, uh, on most of its platforms, including Google Assistant, Google Home, uh, occasionally its main organic search engine. 
and uh, and also YouTube. What we found was that uh, YouTube actually adjusted search results for, uh, among other things, abortion and abortion. So when you search for those terms on YouTube now, what will pop up is a bunch of left-wing propaganda, essentially, from BuzzFeed, from the John Oliver Show, from CNN. Uh, and those are all uh, verified, hand-picked sources by Google. And one of the uh, sources leaked to us a message which showed that Google made an adjustment to a fi- to a blacklist file that it keeps on controversial YouTube search terms. So whenever it wants to promote the mainstream media, the far-left media, in a certain search result, they'll add a search term to this blacklist file. And the result of that change was that uh, numerous pro-life videos, which previously featured in the top 10 search results for, uh, for abortion on YouTube, disappeared from the uh, top 10. And what's even more incredible is the circumstances under which that happened. Uh, the change was made to the internal file that adjusted the search results a few hours after a Slate journalist got in touch with Google's press team to complain about the prominence of pro-life videos. So Google actually did this in response to a left and right complaint that there was, there's too much pro-life content in the search results on YouTube. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there, and there's a, there's a whole load of, of these uh, blacklist search terms that appear in uh, your article, which is entitled, for those uh, who are looking for it, The Smoking Gun, Google Manipulated YouTube Searches for Abortion, Maxine Waters, and David Hogg. Um, tell us a little bit about the other search terms and, and what has been, you know, effectively covered up or, or, or you know, buried uh, by Google uh, across their platforms. And then talk to us a little bit, Alan, about the uh, the implications of this for Google and specifically the Google CEO. I mean, if he was lying to Congress, that's a, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? It certainly is a big deal. Oh, and by the way, uh, that, that quote, the smoking gun that we have in the headline, those aren't my words. That's what a Google employee said about uh, the company adjusting its search results. It was in the leaked messages passed to us. Wow. So Google's own employees are calling it a smoking gun. Uh, and like, as, as you said, there are a whole number of other search terms that we, uh, we released uh, as part of the leak. Uh, so they also adjusted search terms for Maxine Waters, a Democratic congresswoman. They adjusted search terms for David Hogg, a progressive anti-gun activist. Uh, they, they, they're adjusting search terms quite a bit. And um, another post in the thread said it isn't just on YouTube. Google apparently has huge teams. Those are the words of this Google uh, employee, huge teams moderating certain Google Home, Google Assistant, uh, and organic Google search results. And sometimes, according to his post, sometimes that involves training automatic classifiers or algorithms that will automatically moderate the results. And sometimes that will just involve like a manual action, just going in and changing them. And he said they do that on search terms that are prone to uh, hyperbolic and controversial and offensive content. Obviously, you know, I'm not entirely, uh, I'm not at all confident in how Google defines those terms, hyperbolic, controversial, offensive. Mm. You know, the, the far left company in Silicon Valley, they're going to define those terms very, very broadly. Uh, so, as far so, as the implications go... Yeah, talk to us about Pichai and what it means. Yeah, in terms of the implications, you know, I, I'm hesitant. To, I'm not a legal expert, you know, so I'm hesitant to say this. You know, there's some some crime committed here because you know I don't have the legal knowledge about myself. I'm just a journalist. But uh, you know, Senator Josh Hawley asked the question on Twitter yesterday: Is this perjury? I mean, that's it. Certainly, you know, regardless of what it is or it isn't, it certainly looks bad. Mm. And that's that's a question that a new senator is coming in, the former Attorney General of Missouri. 
So, well, I mean, hold on, Alan. I, 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 this is, seems like a pretty big deal, and I've been through this story, and, and I've looked at your sourcing, and I've looked at the, um, the quotes and the links and, and all of the uh, comments and, and things that you've taken out of, the, um, out of the blacklist. It all checks out. I've got a pretty keen eye for these things, having been uh, an editor for, for many years. Um, why am I only seeing, uh, when I Google this, why am I only seeing this story um, on, on Breitbart and, and the Daily Mail? Where, where is the coverage in all the tech mags, the tech blogs? Um, where is the coverage on, on the mainstream news? Uh, well, I mean, the, the tech blogs, I mean, they're, they're essentially PR for Silicon Valley at this point. You know, Silicon Valley companies, you know, do a great deal to win their favor. Uh, I think the headline at The Verge yesterday was a story about e-pets. Uh, e-pets? You know, this, this has happened before. We've, e- e-pets, yes, like online pets. That, that right. was the big story at a left-wing tech uh, outlet. You know, the same deal with Ars Technica, Rico, TechCrunch, all these, all these uh, outlets that are supposedly there to hold Silicon Valley to account, but are really just ignoring any wrongdoing that they're uh, engaged in at the moment. And mm. you know, that's happened before in other Google stories, we believe. They just don't care. And, you know, it, I think it's partly because, you know, they're in bed with the tech companies, but it's also partly because they agree with censorship, they agree with blacklisting. You know, these guys are all left-wing journalists. Yes. In fact, if they have any criticism of Silicon Valley of any, of, or of big tech, it's usually that they're not censoring enough. Normally the headlines are, you know, oh, why isn't Alex Jones banned? Why, mm. why isn't this or that conservative commentator banned yet? That's, that's the agenda of the left-wing tech press and most of the mainstream media as well. Alan, we've got about 30 seconds to go here. Just just walk us through why this is important. Do a little reset for us. Why should we be paying attention to the tech sector? Well, Google, for, uh, which is what the story is about, is you know the most ubiquitous search engine on the Internet. It doesn't really have a competitor. And if Google starts uh, you know fiddling with elections and fiddling with politics, they can have a massive impact on uh, voters and uh, the outcomes of elections without us even noticing because there's no paper trail, there's no over... There's no oversight, and there's uh, nothing really to keep these companies in check or even know when they're doing wrongdoing. It's extraordinary stuff. Alan, just tell people where they can uh, find more of this work from you. Uh, yeah, you can find all my articles at Breitbart.com, Breitbart Tech. You can follow me on Twitter at LibertarianBlue. Thank you, Alan Bakari. This is The Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. Stay on the lines. Want your calls after this short break. Welcome back to The Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam here in the Freedom Hut in Washington, D.C., coming to you guys on the phone lines now, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. I'm going to take your calls all throughout the show right up until 9 p.m. Eastern. Line 1, Bill is in West by God, Virginia. Bill, are you with us? Yes, sir. How are you doing yes. there, Bill? Thank you. Hey, uh, this shotgun could end really quickly if these uh, union members you know, of the the uh, government union that if they get a hold of their government uh, or their their leaders, the union leaders, to go to Congress because Congress probably owes these these unions uh, a deal for supporting them in the elections. They didn't tell them, hey, we want to be paid. You know, tell Congress, well, you guys are being paid. Why not us? How quickly do you think that would uh, that would speed things along, Bill? I think it it would be quicker than anything. There, the Congress. And the union leaders are using their membership as pawns in that. They're, they're just shafting the heck out of their members. How long has it been, Bill, since, since 
labor unions. I mean, I'm speaking from a UK perspective. The labor unions are are so very PC and 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 uh, uh, you know establishment left rather than rather than what you you know you used to have effectively, which were which were pretty strong and fierce advocates. Uh, albeit most of them on the political left, uh, for, as you say, their members. How long has it been since, since they were really useful for their members? Well, they, they're shafting right now. That, you're right, they haven't been in, in the forefront for their, their members at all. They've, they've stuck it to them. And that. It, I just can't believe it. If I was a member, I'd be on my leadership to go after Congress after we put our money into membership dues that supported the people in Congress and their elections and that. I'd say, hey... We don't want to do without money. You guys aren't. You guys owe us. Mm. Bill in West Virginia, thank you so much for the call here on the Buck Sexton Show. Let's go to uh, Tony in Harrisburg. Tony, you with us? Yes, I'm here, Raheem. You You're doing a great job. You're my favorite fill-in for the Buckster. Oh, thank you very much. And, and Tony, your check's in the mail. <laughs> yeah, I just want to uh, let you know that this is one person who is so it's uh, just so proud of our president uh president trump is a breath of fresh air and people just are not used to his intractable uh confidence you know typically when the uh republicans are in the white house you know they they try so hard to be liked by the democrats uh who may be in charge of the house or the senate at the time and they just uh you know cower in 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 fear, you know, that they may not be liked or accepted by the left. And Donald Trump says, I don't care. You know, I don't, I don't care if you like me or not. Let, I, me, pl- I, let I me play devil's advocate. This. I'll play devil's advocate, Tony. I mean, you know where I stand on this, okay. but, but, but we'll play this game anyway. Um, and, I, and I do, by the way, want um, people who disagree with me and Tony um, to call in. I want, I want anti-Trump people. I want people who think this president's intractability, as Tony puts it, uh, is a bad thing. I want you to call in as well and make your case. That's, that's fair, and that's how we do things here. 844-900-BUCK. Uh, so get on the lines. Tony, what do you say to the polls that have come out that show actually President Trump is taking a, a little bit of a hit amongst his own base over not the shutdown as, as in and of itself, but now the length of the shutdown? I, I would say my, my response is I don't trust the polls necessarily. I think that... Uh, but, Tony, they got it so right in 2016. Exactly. I don't <laughs> trust the polls. I, and, and even if they are trying to do a sincere job of reflecting the public sentiment, the public is not Donald Trump. The public is not used to having this kind of intractability. They're, they, mm. they are, you know, they're used to having to try to go along to get along and what that's a natural reaction you know uh, but donald trump's not having any of it so i would say that uh you know he's not like the majority of americans he has a confidence and a resolute spirit that most people just don't have so he's staying the course and it's going to pay big dividends in the end tony in pennsylvania thank you so much for the call here on the buck sexton show uh line two charlie is in one of my favorite places Ocean City, Maryland. Charlie, are you with us? <laughs> yeah, I'm here in Ocean City, Maryland. We're Maryland. Happy we're blue. <laughs> anyway, when I heard about Trump grounding Pelosi, now, I kind of gathered that she was either boarding the plane or getting ready to or 
or something. Right. She was on her way, well on her way. There was a bus. There was an Air Force bus that was being loaded up with the congressional delegation. Uh, it, it was it, it was already on its way. And I think it did a few laps of a few laps of the uh, Capitol Hill and came right back. Well, I would love somebody to have their smartphone and uh, record her reaction when she couldn't do what she wanted, because these politicians do not understand Trump's a builder. Mm. I was in the building business all my life. And I understand he operates on common sense. And he's not a politician. And that's what I really, really enjoy about him. He expects things done. So not- you, were, you, you, you were gleeful about the, the, the tit-for-tat nature of this. Pelosi saying, you know, we're going we're gonna to stop you from doing the State of the Union or... or, or uh, you know, recommend that it's delayed or what have you. And I guess maybe you agree with me. Maybe you don't. Maybe I'm being unfair. Maybe I'm not. But I guess the average Republican would have sort of taken that on the chin or tried to find a compromise or apologized or demurred away from the argument. Uh, President Trump in his White House said, mm, OK, you want to play that game? You're not going anywhere. Yeah, well, I've heard suggestions that he can kind of hold not a rally but kind of like that and give the uh, state of the union address in there uh, that is that is entirely true there is no um there is no uh, ob- obligation for the president to give uh, a state of the union address uh, to congress it, it it just happens to be uh, tradition uh, i believe starting with woodrow wilson in 1913 but before that um, I believe the president really only submitted a, a letter or a written report uh, to Congress. Yeah. How about how about my idea um, there, Charlie? What about a series of tweets? <laughs> He's excellent at that, and I guarantee you, with Pelosi, I'd love to have seen her face when she was shut down. And now, if if our president tweets on that. Oh, man, she, she'll blow her mind. <laughs> well, we're going to be talking to Laura Luma later on in the program as well. Laura uh, trolled Nancy Pelosi this week by jumping her border wall around her house and erecting a migrant caravan on her lawn. Um, and yeah. I'm looking forward to speaking with Laura about that. I know she's got <laughs> some more hilarious. plans to highlight the, uh, the wall hypocrisy out there. Hey, Charlie in Maryland, thank you so much for the call here on the Buck Sexton <laughs> Show. Uh, the phone number here, if you want to be part of the conversation, is 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-BUCK. You might notice that I do read that out a lot. I am a firm believer in the call-in. I am a firm believer that I don't have all the answers and that my opinions count for, well, Probably a little bit less than yours, actually, um, because you are citizens of the United States and I am but a visitor in your country. So get on the lines. Give me both barrels if you want. I'm all for it. 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-2825 is the number. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We're broadcasting live from the Freedom Hut in downtown Washington, D.C. Quick break now when we come back. My bestie, Sarah Salop, a publicist here in uh, Washington, D.C., on the line to discuss my one of my favorite subjects of this week. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez will be right back. 
By now, you guys would have heard of the Global Verification Network, the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigations and vetting company. You can find them at mygvn.com, or you can call 877-695-1179. These guys are federally certified as a veteran-owned small business. They are independently certified by the National Veteran Business Development Council, which is the only minority spend certification recognized by the Billion Dollar Roundtable. Headquartered in Chicago with offices throughout the nation, these guys are the risk mitigation experts. And they work with startups all the way up to Fortune 100s. No data or client information is ever offshored, and all their employees are located throughout the United States. So make sure you head on over for your verification needs, risk mitigation needs to mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179. We're back from the Freedom Hut here in Washington, D.C. My name is Raheem Kassam, filling in for Buck Sexton today. Joining me on the line now, one of my favorite publicists in Washington, D.C., Sarah Selip, joining us. Sarah, good evening. Hi, Raheem. Thank you. You're too kind. <laughs> Well, we'll see about that. You know, we'll see how the interview goes. Um, Sarah, I wanted to, I wanted to get your thoughts on um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez because everyone's talking about her, but actually we're talking about talking about her. We're not actually talking about what she portends, what she means, um, the threat which I think she um, portends for the United States. Uh, and I want to play, I was on Fox last night, and of course, you know me, Sarah, I want to play a clip of myself. <laughs> from Fox last night and get your response to it because I think people are missing something here or at least conservatives are missing something here. They want to laugh at her and joke about her and dismiss her and we did that in the United Kingdom to a man called Jeremy Corbyn a few years ago. Now Jeremy Corbyn is the leader of the Labour Party uh, and is in a very, very close situation as people have probably seen with regards to the whole Brexit scenario uh, to actually taking over the reins of government. Let's play clip eight. We have had in charge of the Labour Party now a hardline uh, socialist, Jeremy Corbyn. And you guys need to take Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. The Democrats need to take her more seriously and treat her as more of a danger than conservatives do. Because actually what Jeremy Corbyn has done in the Democrat Party, uh, he, in, in the Labour Party rather, he cannot get uh, his party to take power. Even if he won an election, he wouldn't hold the confidence of Parliament at the moment. And, and if you allow somebody who's clearly read Rules for Radicals and who's clearly well-versed on Mark Lillard's once and future liberal to take over both the cultural and she's very good at the cultural take over both the cultural and the policy orientation of the party you won't get those reins back now that was my warning to the democrats but actually the warning for for the country i think is you know on the black swan event sarah that somebody like that does come to power um it's 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 a pretty dire situation isn't it yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to something like AOC, you see that she has a perfect grasp of what it means to um, take the lead of the cultural aspect. You see it every day with social media, the fact that she's likely trending at all times. She will tweet something and all of a sudden she's everywhere. I mean, she has a better grasp on it than most of the people in Congress. So, you know, when you have a freshman Congress person come in, and, you know, they're not really acquainted with the policy, but they have a mastery of reaching their constituents mm. and new voters, Gen Z. You know, there's kind of sort of a threat to the rest of Congress. Like, how are they going to adapt it? And that's how she rises to power. So what I was thinking last night as well before that panel, uh, you know, not 
particularly uh, um, in the weeds on policy or process, really good at populism. It reminds me of someone who took over the Republican Party a couple of years ago. And, and you know, we've seen how that's gone. That has given Donald Trump hegemony over the right. Now, I perhaps I believe that's a good thing because I am a Trump-style nationalist and have been for a great many years. Um, but for the Democrats who want to keep their, the, you know, control of their party, AOC, as we know her now, um, poses a massive threat in that sense, doesn't she? Right, absolutely. So if you look back, even going beyond Trump to the Obama campaign, he was probably one of the first people to actually adopt social media as a huge campaign platform. And, you know, with conservatives, they obviously understand what's going on. You know, tweets are, from a PR standpoint, extremely valuable. If you misspell one thing, people will write thousands of articles about it. Like Hamburger. Exactly, or Cavefe, or <laughs> whatever the nickname is of the day. Yeah. Yeah, it's. So, yeah, I think I think the Democrats are in for a really rocky time with uh, with AOC, and actually, it makes me concerned that the the future of the country kind of rests on whether or not the Democrats can weed out the extremists within their own ranks. I don't perhaps, right. you know, I don't I don't take great uh, you know great comfort in that happening, given given where these guys are going at the moment. But you know, let's talk about that cultural element uh, to this. She's massive on Instagram. She says horrendous things like run a train on the progressive agenda. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen out there, if you don't know what that means, do not look it up. Okay, just no, no Googling that right now uh, or, or do it from a private uh, private session in your browser. Um, you know, she but she gets it. She gets how to connect. And more than anything, Sarah, she gets how to pretend she's Alexandria from the block. Right. <laughs> exactly. So she's just so relatable. Whether you're, you know, a Democrat or or Republican, everybody admires how she takes a hold of social media. You tune in to watch her instant pot recipes. You want to covet the next lipstick that she talks about, which when she released it last year saying, this is my favorite lipstick of all time, it sold out mm. within minutes. Wow. Like, she's the perfect mix between an Instagram influencer and a politician, and that's what works so well for her. And it worked well, you know, it's worked well for a lot of people. That reminds me of, of Nigel Farage. Nigel had this tie and this coat um, in the United Kingdom where uh, the tie said, uh, illegitimate non carborundum. Uh, it means don't let the bastards grind you down. And when people saw him wearing that tie, that tie sold out online across the board. And the same thing with his camel haired coat, which, Sarah, you probably see me wearing quite a lot. Um, it comes from the <laughs> Nigel Farage School of Fashion. Um, and, and, and same that way, you know, these, these, this European style populism is now making real, real inroads into the United States. And the, both the Republican and the Democrat establishments have been caught with their pants down um, on these things. Where do you see AOC going just in the last minute or so we've got with you here uh, over the next uh, couple of months? I think most people are uh, a little bit obsessed uh, and I confess to being that way myself. So I really want to understand where you think she's going with this. I mean, you see the same thing from a fashion perspective from Kate Middleton and Meghan Markle when they would sell out items in minutes on J. Crew, Max Mara, Burberry, et cetera, et cetera. But with AOC, it seems that she's on an upward trajectory. Consistency has been her thing. She stayed almost exactly the same with messaging. She will reach out to the same people in the same way or mm. attack people on Twitter in the same way. It just works for her. 
it doesn't, you know, work for everyone and even for the Democrats. But she knows what she's doing and she knows how to master all of the platforms. So I don't see her stopping anytime soon. Sarah, just tell people where they can find more of uh, your thoughts on all things political and cultural. (laughs) You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Selip, S-E-L-I-P as in Peter is my last name, and Sarah's with an H. Sarah Selip, thank you so much for joining us. I think I might make you our uh, our cultural correspondent here whenever I'm guest hosting on this show. (laughs) That would be amazing. I would love that. (laughs) All right. Sarah Selip there, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you're following her on Twitter. The phone number here is 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Uh, want more of your calls in the next hour. We're going to be talking to Ned Ryan from American Majority, Jen Kearns, Republican strategist, Terry Schilling from the American Principles Project, and of course, you guys, I'm Raheem Kassam. This is The Buck Sexton Show, live from the Freedom Hut. We'll be right back after this short break. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to The Buck Sexton Show, broadcasting from the Freedom Hut here in Washington, D.C. My name's Raheem Kassam, filling in for Monsieur Sexton this evening, the phone lines are open, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825, in case you missed the first hour. I think it was good. Um, we talked about Google and the uh, fibs that the Google CEO may may have ended up telling Congress about whether or not they uh, intervene in individual search results. Big implications there, given that you know that is uh, a search engine monopoly, really. Um, and they shape the entire, the entire uh, internet, people's research, uh, what is going into your news, what you're consuming as news, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, talked a little bit about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez with my good buddy Sarah Salop. Uh, had some great calls from you guys, so don't let me down this hour either, 844-900-B-U-C-K. I want you to tell me if you think I'm wrong, if you think I'm right. Uh, we opened with this latest... Uh, troll, I think, <laughs> from President Trump, uh, p- perpetrated against Nancy Pelosi, pulling her off the uh, the military bus. She was about to go on a little trip, little trippy trip, across to Brussels, Egypt, and Afghanistan. And after she played politics with the State of the Union, President Trump said... No, no, Nancy, you will not be taking a military plane abroad. You will stay right here in Washington, D.C. and negotiate with me. Well, he can't force her to negotiate, but he can ground her. That's exactly what he's done. I want to bring in my friend Ned Ryan. He's the CEO of American Majority, uh, which you can find out more about at AmericanMajority.com. Ned, good evening. Thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be with you, Reem. Ned, um, I think I did a good summary there of yep. what's gone down today. Uh, but the bigger picture is CNN's upset uh, that uh, that we're still in shutdown here in D.C. I've got to tell you, I haven't really noticed. That's um, <laughs> right? No, no. Um, I, I, this has been one of the arguments I've been making, Raheem. Outside of D.C., outside of the Acela Corridor, most of the of the American people have literally not been impacted one bit mm. by the fact that 800,000 federal government employees are have been sent home are are being furloughed and i think it begs the question if about 40% of the federal government employees have been sent home and most americans don't even notice 
why are we having a conversation about the size of our government? Because I would make an argument, and I think the longer that this shutdown goes on, the stronger the argument becomes. Do we really need as much government as we have? Do we need to have nearly 2 million federal government employees we're spending $136 billion a year on? Do we really need over 430 you know, departments, agencies, and sub-agencies? And I, I think this shutdown is making a very compelling argument that, in fact, we don't. In fact, our lives are not affected by it. And, in fact, our government needs some serious reform, and we need to start thinking about shrinking it. Good point. Well made. I want to make the case also that, you know, there are obviously the majority of those 800,000 people affected by this government shutdown uh, will be good people, you know, right? They, they are normal, ordinary people. And my heart goes out to them that they are going through this. But at the same time, you know, government work comes with benefits and it comes with pitfalls. You know, it comes with, with some level of security in some senses and a level of insecurity in others. And it, and, and it should be no different from, from uh, you know, having the insecurity that you have in a job in the private sector or, or if you're a contractor or so on and so forth. There is no, you know, you are not owed anything by the taxpayer. You have opted to do that job. And again, my heart goes out to you if you're one of those government workers who don't know where the next paycheck's coming from or when it's going to come. But at the same time, you knew that, didn't you, going into right. this thing? And, and, and Ned, I, I also just want to put to you this um you know the size of government argument is a really good one to be raising right now and as we approach the 30-day mark of this um of this shutdown are the democrats shooting themselves in the foot because of course they love big government you know put what bill bill clinton bill government bill clinton said about the era of big government being over aside for a second because that didn't happen um the democrats uh, are sort of leading americans down that path to going hold on a minute we don't need all these people no, I think so. Absolutely. I think that uh, the longer this thing goes on, they're actually making arguments to show, again, we don't need as much government as we have. And the thing I'd push back a little bit on with you, Raheem, is the fact, you know, I understand you know, that, that people are not getting paychecks. Let's also remember that many times when these shutdowns end, federal government employees are made whole. At the same time, the ones that really suffer are the government contractors. They're not made whole. You know why? Because they're private sector companies. They're not going to be bailed out and made whole by taxpayer dollars. Mm. And the other point I would make on this is we now have the most job openings that we've, that we've maybe even had in our entire history, whether it's five, six million job openings. I would make the argument, again, let's have the conversation about the size and role of government. At the same time, these 800,000 people, market forces, if we truly believe that there are market forces and we're now seeing that maybe perhaps there's a, there's a potential to have a market force say, hey, we don't need as much government there are five to six million job opportunities for those 800,000 people where they could actually go into the private sector and actually really experience what it means to be in the private sector. Because I'm telling you, Raheem, I have been in D.C. about 20 years. I can guarantee you that there are many federal government employees. First of all, it's redundant. There's a lot of overlap. I, I, I don't know if you saw the Daily Caller piece just a few days ago in which somebody was making the argument and really explaining what a lot of these federal government employees are doing day to day. It's about process. It's about new, new task force. It's about creating new agencies. All they're seeking to do is put in time, get their pay, and expand the role of government. I think we need to have a serious conversation, and I'm sorry that, they're a part, that, that they might get caught in this, but the future of our country, we're $22 trillion in debt. We are now mm. looking at annual deficits of a trillion. In 20 years, Raheem, if we do not stop this, we're going to be talking about $40 trillion in national debt. That is unsustainable. No country, not even the United States, can sustain that.
That's true. No, no country's ever sustained uh, that level of debt. Okay, so uh, with all that in mind, Ned, what should this president be doing in your estimation, and and how long does this go on for? I think it goes lo- as long as it needs to. I mean, what we're really this is the amazing part to me, Raheem. We are talking about one eighth of one percent that he is asking for in regards to funding this five point seven billion for the wall. Democrats in the past five years ago voted for forty six billion, eight billion specifically for a wall. They're, they're obviously deeply hypocritical. I think Trump holds out as long as he needs to until they come to the table and they negotiate. In fact, I think that he should even go to the point of saying, under the Immigration and Nationality Act, if you guys will not negotiate with me, I will shut down the entire southern border until you come to the negotiating table. I think this is his chance to go and just say, we're going to have this conversation not only about the wall, but we're going to actually reform and fix our immigration system, which I would actually argue, Raheem, is so broken as to not even really be a system. And the other thing I'll say about this, in regards to the State of the Union, Trump should go down to the border and he should find the biggest venue he could find, 50,000 people, and he should give his State of the Union address live on television in front of 50,000 people and blow the socks off Nancy Pelosi. That would be awesome. That would indeed be awesome, but it also is a little predictable. And this president, I mean, in the sense that we're all predicting it, right? Um or saying that he should do it. This president tends to pull things even further out of left field than that. Any, any, I mean, see, I was going with the whole from Air Force One. I don't care. uh, Well, I was, I was thinking, you know, do it, do it, do a Twitter state of the union. You know what, whatever it takes. And I think the reason when, when you're winning, when you are winning a debate, you put your opponent out there to basically hang themselves, to, to basically undo themselves. Mm. The fact that Nancy Pelosi is, I, I think, deeply concerned about giving Trump that platform for the State of the Union to actually go directly to the American people and, again, make that argument why we need to have the wall, why we need to have immigration reform. She's not winning this debate. But I think what she's done is actually going to put Trump on steroids. I think whatever he's going to do, it will magnify his audience tenfold. And so I think what she's actually done is not only shown that she's not winning the debate, she's going to make Trump's speech, wherever he gives it, Mm. uh, that much more powerful. And I think with potentially a much bigger audience. Ned Ryan, tell uh, tell our audience where they can find more of your work tweets and, and anything else you want them to see. Uh, and things you don't want them to see. Well, you know, I, th- th- they can see whatever they want to see. Uh, <laughs> Ned Ryan, N-E-D-R-Y-U-N on Twitter. AmericanMajority.org, actually, is where they can find out more about American Majority trainings. But, yeah, no, I'd encourage I said .com, naughty me. But, you know what, American Majority, they can Google it, they can find it. Don't Google it. We don't use Google anymore. We use DuckDuckGo. I use DuckDuckGo. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I use DuckDuckGo. I don't exactly. trust Google, and I wish I could have talked about Google some more, but they need to be broken up. Alphabet Inc. needs to be broken up for the good of the American people. Well, I'll Just tell you what, next time next time I'm in this uh, hot seat Let's talk uh, about it. in the Freedom Heart, you're going to come on and talk about the uh, dominance of uh, these nefarious tech companies. 100%. But, but, Ned, thank you so much for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show. Thanks, Raheem. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825 is the number here. Was Ned wrong? Was Ned right? Did I ask the important questions? What would you say to this president if you had his ear for just a moment? Who knows? Maybe he's listening this evening. Good evening, Mr. President, if you are. Um, Right, we're going to go to a quick break now. When we come back, Jen Kearns, going to be talking more about this shutdown. But I want your calls to get on the lines and be on the triggers. This is the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam, broadcasting live from the Freedom Hut here in Washington, D.C. We're talking all things shut down this hour. If you want to have your say, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825 is the number here. I'm joined now uh, by my good friend, Jen Kearns, Republican strategist. Jen, good evening. Hello, Raheem. How are you, Jen? I'm fine. I'm so excited to be talking to my brother from another mother. <laughs> Jen, uh, we had uh, another one of our uh, brethren on the uh, on the line a moment ago. Ned Ryan was joining us to talk about all of this and where it's going to. Uh, let me get your yeah. thoughts right now. Ned's position is that uh, it's good. It, the shutdown is good in the grand scheme of things because it is showing a lot of Americans how little government they actually need in their lives, how a little these uh, federal workers, and no offense to them on a personal level, we're talking about the institutions that they represent being bloated. They are unfortunately caught up in all of this mess. Um, but how, how little that is actually needed. And, and where is this going to stop? Ned says it'll go on as long as it needs to. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think uh, President Trump here is showing his Reagan-esque side. You know, it was Ronald Reagan who um, he had a total of, I think, seven or eight shutdowns. I think it was eight uh, mm. during his eight years. And, you know, he, he didn't care what people thought. He didn't care what the press said. And I think that is very much uh, a page that uh, Trump is taking yet again out of the Reagan book. And, and look, if you look at the core issue of this, you know, the mainstream media today is trying to make everybody think that, that the American people don't care about border security and that Trump's numbers are actually coming down. And I, I looked at the various polls that were out today, uh, the, the Washington Post poll, the Marist poll, the NBC News Washington, Washington um, uh, uh, Wall Street Journal poll. Excuse mm. me. Uh, those were all the same polls that had Hillary Clinton up 18 points on October 16th, 2016. They all said she was going to win in a landslide and how that changed in a period of two weeks. I look at the other polls that really matter here. If you look at the Rasmussen poll, they were one of only three pollsters that got the 2016 elections right. I think they're the most accurate. Uh, they showed that an overwhelming number of Americans are concerned about border security. And in fact, one out of four Americans, even during the shutdown, would contribute their own money to build the border wall. You have other polls out. AP poll, which is slightly center left, uh, taken just before the shutdown shows. Border security has now moved into among the top five concerns for the American people. You look at the Gallup poll, which is a gold standard in polling, reported that border security had actually moved into the top two concerns for Americans uh, just after the 2018 midterms, after Nancy Pelosi uh, won back that gavel. And finally, an economist YouGov poll shows that a whopping 62% of Americans actually view illegal immigration, not border security. The actual word used was illegal immigration as either a very serious problem or a somewhat serious problem. And only 7% of Americans, 7%, believe that illegal immigration was, quote, not a problem. So that, that, that shows me President Trump has the wind in his sails here. He can let this go on for a protracted battle if he wants. What if the case is, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, what if the case is, actually, I don't know if I am playing devil's advocate. Maybe I do believe this. Um, what if the case is that the public sees him right on the issue, but wrong on the tactics? Well, look, we've seen the American sentiment really has not changed that significantly on mm. President Trump. And look, at he has been right on virtually every issue since he was sworn in as president. You look at the economy. You look at the stock market. 
uh, has gone to record levels. They said the stock market was going to tank within 72 hours of his inauguration. Didn't happen. You look at jobs. He's brought jobs back to America in every sector. Women's unemployment down 17-year low. Uh, overall unemployment down 17-year low. African-American unemployment down a 50-year low uh, since they began recording the rate. Um, so you can look at this and say, you know, the American people, you know, it has shown up in polls that they don't like how he says something, but they certainly like what he's actually doing. And I think that sentiment will start to come through in the polls here. They may not like this tit for tat, this sending letters back and forth between he and Nancy Pelosi, but at the core, they do like that border security, as I just said, and they do like that he's standing tough and standing up to, to the position. And look, anyone that's surprised, that the government is shut down right now, has Mm. not been paying attention. He ran on the concept of draining the swamp, and that is precisely what he's doing. I think it's a secondary battle here. I think he did shut the government down over the border wall. But secondarily, this does fit, you know, that list of 100 things that he wanted to check off his campaign promises list. This does fit one of those items in there that he's going to check off and say, look, I kept my promise to the American people. I went to Washington, D.C., and I helped drain the swamp. Just finally, Jen, uh, I want to ask a hypothetical question here because I think uh, in late December, when the shutdown first loomed um, and the, uh, the bars in, on Capitol Hill started serving shutdown cocktails. I had one of them. <laughs> Um, that was before my dry January, by the way. I'll talk to you guys about that a little later <laughs> in the program. Um, but uh, when that happened, I guess we thought, hey, you know, this will last a week, two weeks, maybe a little longer. We're going on some time now, uh, an unprecedented amount of time now. Um, w- in your estimation, I mean, you've seen this stuff, you study it very closely. How much longer can this realistically I don't mean, you know, theoretically in a, in a, in a, you know, if he needs to do it sense, but how much longer do you think the White House allows this to go on before having to change tax somewhere? I truly believe, Raheem, this could go on for 65 or 70 days wow. without President Trump losing much in the polls. I think five to seven points max. Right. And look, I've studied this for 15 years. Yeah. And look, you didn't see the Democrats crying in their beers at the Capitol Hill bars when Barack Obama closed down the government in October 2013. You know, it, it's so funny. The Democrats are so up in arms over this, and they hate it because Trump has done it. But look at the history. Barack Obama shut down the government in 2013. His shutdown was actually worse than President Trump's shutdown. His was a complete shutdown, whereas Trump's is only a partial shutdown. By the numbers, Obama furloughed far more employees, more than 800,000 workers wow. under Barack Jen, Obama. Were we've got to jump here. It's a hard yep. break, and so that's our music. Million, yep, more than a million asked to work without pay. So Thank you, Jen Kearns. This is the Buck Sexton Show, live from the Freedom High in Washington, D.C. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's the Buck Sexton Show, broadcasting live from Washington, D.C. The phone lines are open, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. And speaking of which, I want to go to line one, Anthony in Pennsylvania. Anthony, are you with us? Yes, I am, sir. How you doing there? Doing well, sir. Take How us away. Yeah, all right. You've got the mic, Anthony. Go ahead. Um, I think Donald Trump is at a make or break point now. He must stay the course because if the Democratic Party, having just taken the House, 
realizes that they can roll him over on this, uh, then the wall will never get built. This would be a harbinger of persistent defeat. Uh, this, of course, being you know the wall uh, and the border security being probably the primary thing now this administration is concerned with. If it rolls over on this, Anthony, you're saying they'll roll over on everything else. Then uh, all President Trump has to do is say, I took an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. And even places that don't teach the Constitution anymore, they teach children to memorize the preamble and feel that they've studied the Constitution. Mm. The preamble of the Constitution states that we the people, to provide for the common defense, and that's exactly what he's doing right here. He's providing for the defense of the nation. He's providing for enforcement of the borders. That's a federal function. That's enumerated in the Constitution. That's not discretionary. That's mandated. So what he's doing by insisting on this border defense is merely upholding the oath that he took as president. You know, I think about this quite a lot, Anthony. I think you make a very good point, because on the run-up to the 2016 election, we were told over and over again, uh, that Donald Trump doesn't know anything about the Constitution. Donald Trump doesn't know anything about America. He's just a, he's just a loudmouth New Yorker who got a big donation from his dad. And it turns out that whether it's intentional or just as a, uh, as a, as a consequence of, of nature, he seems to be the only one, even sometimes within his own party, who is actually sticking to what is required of him per his oath. When I was very young and I was in school, I remember there was a poem that I read and it was called Mean. And I see the, the most stupid thing that's ever said about conservatives right after using the word hateful as an adjective mm. is mean-spirited. And I remember this one passage from a poem. I can't remember the author. The poem's name was Mean, and I will never forget. Mean is the coward's favorite game in which the winner shifts the blame. And that's what the Democrats are doing. We, we see you know, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer et al. say, never a dime, not a dime. We won't give one penny for the wall. Then the CBS Evening News comes on, you know, Donald Trump refuses to compromise on the border security and mean is the coward's favorite game in which the winner shifts the blame. And it appears the willing accomplices in the mainstream press are allowing the Democrats to shift the blame. Oh, I love that. Thank you for the call, Anthony, there in Pennsylvania. Let's go to line two. Jim is in Boston. Jim, good evening. Good evening, Raheem. Thank you for taking the call. Absolutely. Go right ahead. Um, just a, a frame of reference. I actually used to work for Speaker of the House O'Neill years ago hmm. uh, under him and Reagan. And what was interesting was they could agree to disagree on certain things, but it was all about getting business done. Hmm. And unfortunately, today, they're so polarized. So my thought is that uh, or my suggestion to President Trump would be to hold out until March when the debt ceiling has to be raised mm. and uh, use that as a leverage point again. 
to actually force them to start negotiating in good faith instead of turning around and saying, we're not going to do anything. Now, for those of us, uh, Jim, like me, I will confess, um, who don't understand the process uh, that that would uh, that that would entail, just walk us through what happens in March and and how uh, the president could could leverage that, as you say. So he's got they're going to need to pass a bill to increase the debt ceiling Mm -hmm. or the government's going to run out of money. And uh, very much like. Uh, letting Nancy Pelosi not fly on government planes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to turn around with the Senate's help to say, hey, listen, if you want to do this, you need to get my buy-in. You need to also get the buy-in of the Senate. And now we really need to solve this problem if you want to keep the government actually going and raise the debt ceiling so the, the government has money. And if they're going to play this game of chicken with him, um, whoever swerves first is going to lose. And I think the Democrats are so ingrained in keeping their base uh, with the power of the purse, they're going to have to turn around and say, listen, we need to make a deal here. And for $5 billion, which is a pittance, Mm. they're going to have to come through, especially when you consider that all of these knuckleheads have have gone ahead and voted for massive, um, you know, border funding in the past. And now just because the name in the White House is Trump, Mm. they're going to stand against him. Uh, I think the only way for him to do it or get them to, to... take notice is when it comes down to they need him uh, with regard to the debt ceiling. Jim, I would uh, I would love to connect with you. If you hang on the line, I'm going to get, try and get one of our producers to get uh, get your details so I can uh, I can connect with you off off air as well. It's Jim in Boston with an absolutely fantastic call, pointing out some extraordinary things there about the debt ceiling. Extraordinary in the sense that when I asked the question earlier about how long uh, the president can keep this shutdown going, Jen Kearns. Uh, told me uh, uh, effectively up until March, she said another another thirty days or so uh, without really seeing uh, much of a problem. And sure enough, that takes us into Jim's uh, theory there that we uh, we can take this right up until the debt ceiling has to be raised again. Maybe that's the plan. Maybe that's been the plan all along by this administration. Uh, more leverage their way comes. Who knows? Eight uh, eight four four nine hundred. Buck, that's eight four four nine hundred two eight two five is the number here. And I tell you, the quality of the calls today, just like every day that I'm the guest host of this show, is supremely high. I hope uh hope you guys all know how much I appreciate it and how much I learn from you guys out there as well. So uh if you're you know, a first time caller, never called in before. Uh, now's the now's the chance. The bar the bar is set high, uh, and I think uh, I think that should be something we all reach for. And I agree with Jim as well when he said that uh, you know, we used to actually talk to one another, and that's what I aim to do with these shows. That's why I aimed to do yesterday with my Democrat opponent on the Laura Ingram show last night on Fox. Um, 
Mostly because I believe the arguments and the right is 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 on my side, uh, and so I, I go into it with that level of confidence. But also because, what, what does it help us to be at each other's throats all the time to reject the idea of understanding one another and and where we're all coming from? You see, when I talk privately uh, to people about these things. We seem to be able to do it like grown adults. It just so happens that when the cameras are on or the radio mic's hot, people want to grandstand and and pull back into their own little corners. Well, more people have been doing that today on Capitol Hill. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez once again, and she does know how to get coverage, and she does know how to get coverage out of me. She said she goes hunting in the Senate for Mitch McConnell. Can't find him. Can't find him in the cloakroom. Can't find him on the floor. Can't find him in the office. Nowhere to be seen. She went to the wrong place. <laughs> she, she was supposed to go to the Senate Majority Leader's Office. She ended up just going to the General Senate uh, offices. But I suspect that she knew that and that she was doing that to get the coverage of her walking around the Senate going, where's Mitch, where's Mitch, where's Mitch? And sure enough, here I am playing right into her hands, giving her the coverage. This is... The Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam. We're broadcasting live from Washington, D.C. in the Freedom Hut. We're going to take a quick break now. When we come back, Terry Schilling from the American Principles Project and more of your calls. We'll be right back. Welcome back. The Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam, broadcasting live from the Freedom Hut in downtown Washington, D.C. I realized earlier I didn't tell you where you can read more uh, from Jen Kearns. It's at Jen Kearns, K-E-R-N-S, on Twitter, and JenKearns.com. Uh, she was the Republican strategist we had on earlier in this hour talking about the government shutdown. I want to pivot now to Terry Schilling. He's the head of the American Principles Project and a dear friend of mine. Terry, good evening. Hey, Raheem. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Well, thank you for being on. I realize you're in mid-transit at the moment, uh, so I'm grateful that you can join us. Uh, it's a short segment we've got at the bottom of this hour, so let's jump right into it. The March for Life is tomorrow. Terry, what's the March for Life? It's the biggest pro-life event in the country. Um, every year around the anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision, hundreds of thousands of pro- uh, I'm sorry, pro-life um, activists go to Washington, D.C., uh, to show Congress and the president that the right to life is a fundamental issue here uh, and that we need to protect everyone from conception until natural death. So I, I have seen this now for a couple of years. We, we don't really have anything like it from uh, back where I'm from. Um, and I suppose there's the, the similar things uh, in France, uh, a couple of other countries do it. But, I mean, this is a vast, vast thing. Um, massive, massive numbers, huge array of events around it. Uh, but even still, uh, back in 2017, I believe the Women's March, the leftist uh, pink-hatted march, uh, got around 200 times the level of coverage uh, than the massive, massive March for Life did. Terry, why is that? It's just because we obviously have a slanted media um, across the country, and, you know, they don't like to cover the, the March for Life and how many people show up. But the other reason I think, though, if I'm being honest about it, is that the March for Life happens every year, and hundreds of thousands of people come. And I think that the media has probably just gotten used to it. it it's not 
abnormal for hundreds of thousands of people to come in January to March for life. Mm. Um, it was something more newsworthy, I think, uh, as a retrograde. Oh, I'm not saying the Women's March wasn't newsworthy, don't get me wrong, but 200 times more newsworthy? No, I think that's a fair criticism. It is, because I'm making a, it. <laughs> Terry, we, we sh- we're short on time, and I want to get to your toxic masculinity, if you don't mind. Uh, let me just get the producers to play this clip from this Gillette advert that came out this week. The Me Too movement against sexual harassment. Is this the best a man can get? We can't hide from it. Sexual harassment is taking over. It's been going on far too long. What I actually think she's trying to say. Making the same old excuses. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. But something finally changed. Allegations regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment. And there will be no going back. Because we, we believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Well, that's the Gillette advert. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll note that I immediately threw my Gillette razor out. Terry, uh, is your masculinity toxic, uh, and can you be better? Oh, man. And, you know, I think the big problem with that ad is that it wasn't written by men. Uh, it was written Whoa. by radical feminists who, uh, you know, have always looked down on masculinity. And I think that, you know, obviously the stuff that they label or layout in the ad does need to be addressed and I but I don't think that that's a product of masculinity I think that that's a rejection of masculinity you know a masculine man does not objectify women a masculine man doesn't bully people a masculine man actually stands up for women and a a, a real man stands up to bullies and I so I you know I think the heart of it is uh, it's interesting but it was just written by the wrong people. I, I could write a much better ad that'd be more effective that would get the point across. And so maybe that's a project you and I should work on, Raheem. Or we could not and say we did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, is, this is great radio. Um, Terry, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, th- we've seen a lot of people now th- tossing out their Gillette uh, razors. Some people even saying they won't consume any uh, Procter & Gamble goods uh, or products anymore, which is a very difficult thing to achieve, actually, when you consider just how much that company owns. Is that the right response to this? Uh, how, do you, how do you feel? And do you own any Gillette products, Terry? Have you? No, do you I, now or have you ever owned any Gillette products, Terry? Have you no shame, sir? Uh, no, I, look, I've been I've been using the Dollar Shave Club for the past you know, ten years. This is not an advertisement. So, no, I, no, no, I, I'm not advertising <laughs> for them. I'm sorry. They they should give you money though. Um, but no, listen, uh, I haven't used Gillette, and I think a lot of guys have switched from Gillette products to the Dollar Shave Club. So they knew they had to do something really controversial to get the whole country talking about them. Yeah, you know, most of my friends uh, are just choosing the neck beard. Uh, now over Gillette <laughs> Razor, so uh, we'll we'll see how that works out for them and their wives. You have some very very curious friends, my friend, and I suppose That's they're true. friends. They, I suppose they're friends by proxy for me, which you <laughs> should should be uh, worried about. Terry, tell our audience a little bit about the American Principles Project and where they can follow your work. Look, we're a very simple group. We work on federalism and family, so we get the federal government out of the way so that the family can thrive and prosper and allow for maximum amount of liberty and freedom. Um, and uh, you can find us at on the web at appsdc.org. 
And uh, we'll be coming out with some really interesting reports here pretty soon, making a political argument for uh, creating strong families. Strong families tend to vote more uh, with liberty in mind and as a conservative, and you know, weak families tend to vote um, as uh, liberals. And so I think the way to turn this country around is to encourage and strengthen more strong families. You hear that, ladies and gentlemen. Terry Schilling just called... You or families weak if you're a liberal. What are you going to do about it? You're going to get on the phones, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825, and let Terry have it. We're up against a break here, but when we come back, I do want to talk to you about my latest column for the American Spectator magazine. It's about this dry January I've undertaken, and of course, more of your calls, so stay on the line. I'm Raheem Kassam. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam, broadcasting live out of Washington, D.C. And I can't believe two hours have gone already. Uh, just the last hour to go here. But I don't want to leave because it just started snowing outside again. And I tend to... I'm a walker. And I tend to like walking the... I guess it's like a 45-minute walk home for me from here. And now I'm going to do it in the snow, which will be extra fun. I might just hang around here in studio and wait till it subsides a little bit. See if anybody tries to kick me out of the building. Maybe I'll just sleep here overnight. <laughs> I've got to be back here at the morning anyway. Um, right, the phone lines are open. 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-2825. We've been talking about the shutdown in the past couple of hours. Uh, also, if you missed the first hour, do go back and listen. Lots of interesting stuff in there about... Uh, what Google's up to behind the scenes in suppressing uh, conservative information now as it turns up in search functions, not just on Google.com, but on all their other products as well, like YouTube. Really interesting stuff there from uh, my friend Alan Bakari over at Breitbart Tech, who actually got a leak from inside Google about all of that. So make sure you're plugged in and understanding what's going on there. We talked a little bit about AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Two, And the story of the day is that despite our next guest, who is none other than the conservative independent journalist Laura Loomer, despite her bounding over Nancy Pelosi's uh, home wall and erecting a migrant caravan type situation dealie on her lawn, it wasn't the worst troll Ms. Pelosi has gone through this week. That accolade belongs to the president of the united states who today revoked her military plane that she was going to take to go to brussels and egypt and afghanistan i'm a very stable genius he is a very stable genius <laughs> by the way mr producer i love when you guys do that so anytime you want you jump in with uh, with Mr. Trump in my ear. We've got the phone lines open, and we've got uh, some callers on the line, so I want to go to them now. Line one, Charles is in Indiana. Yes, Charles, sir. good evening to you. How you doing? I'm very well. Charles, take us away. Okay, I'm a, a retired first sergeant, U.S. Army, 24 years. Well, thank you for I your service, sir. Idea, idea for the president. There's a stadium in Washington, D.C. Let's do the State of the Union in the stadium. Ooh. Oh, hold on. Water, open access to the public. As a matter of fact, that, that's the way it should be. It's the state of the union. It's our, it's our union. Now, let me ask you this, Charles. Um, 
Filling a stadium in Trump country might be easy. Is that so easy in Washington, D.C.? Well, we can just move it to Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Yeah, well, no, I agree with that. <laughs> um, I'm but, sure but that it, he would fill it because I would drive to Washington. It's, um, it's, I think it's an idea, at least from what I hear, uh, that is in the mix at the moment. Either a rally type or, as you say, a stadium type event where... Uh, the president takes the State of the Union to the people. It would send quite a message, wouldn't it, Charles? You take it to the enemy. Abso- absolutely. Charles, thank you. Thing for Go you. ahead. Go ahead. Our president is a lion. And what I'm going to say is to survive in a nation of sheep, ruled by wolves, owned by pigs, you must become a lion. He is our lion. There you go, Charles. Inspirational stuff there. Thank you so much for the call. Let's uh, let's ask Don in Alabama what he thinks of it all. Don, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Raheem. How are you doing tonight? I'm all right. I'm. I'm. Well, thank you very much. I'm. I'm bracing myself too. Yeah. Oh, I know, and I love. I tell you what, I love Alabama, and I love the Alabama accent. I'm not coming on to you. I especially like it on women. No, I, I completely understand. My uh, my male thing is good so uh, <laughs> go right ahead Don. take we, us away uh, yes sir um i just wanted to remind this country and you know those of us that think about little things our penny the smallest denomination that we've got has god on the top of it and mm. god we trust we've mm. built this country based on that uh, i know i'm opening a can of worms here but if you look at the wall that we've got that we're proposing the trump wants to build for us mm. we are allies of the single most important nation on the face of this earth that city has a wall around it for a reason it's to protect as president trump said the ones you love but also your enemies to keep them out mm-hmm. this extension of our border i in my heart i believe is uh, an extension of that wall in that city and i know you know where i'm talking about um well i've been i love my country i love my country but i'll tell you if i reach in my pocket right now i got a penny Mm. in my pocket and i'll give it to president trump if it's my last one to build this um (laughs) well you know don i often joke i often joke because i'm i'm british and i'm a british citizen and i am a conservative and in 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 britain being a conservative uh, means uh, you would technically, or, or should be, uh, a monarchist as well. So I often joke with my American friends who are uh, typically uh, Republicans in, this, in the stricter sense, not in the party political sense, but um, in the sense that you are a republic. Um, I often joke, because most of them are, are um, God-fearing Christians as well, I say it's not the republic of heaven, it's the kingdom of heaven, and therefore that's why I'm a monarchist. But it also applies to what, I mean, I'm kidding, but it also applies to what you're saying, right? I mean, when you think of the pearly gates, and you, you did open a can of worms with God, so I'm going to run with it. Um, you, when you think of the pearly gates, the pearly gates have to be, you know, attached to something. They're not just, it's not just gates. That means heaven is walled off, right? I mean, heaven is walled off yes, from sin and sinners, correct? Yes, sir. Absolutely. And if you, you you mentioned Google earlier, and I know I'm mm. stepping out on a limb right here. I may regret it. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. But if you Google wall on uh, on the present Google, mm. now the, the, the 
the things that comes up is about a building. You know, your home. You got mm. a door in your home. You can mm. lock your door at night. You're not going to let some stranger just walk into your home and say, hey, I need a cup of water mm. or a, a meal to eat, you know, mm. unless you unless you are willing to let them in. But they need to knock on the door first, you know. You don't just walk into somebody's home and, and expect them to give you what they've got. Uh, you I, know, feel, I feel I'll you give don't. somebody the shirt off my back, but don't take it from me. You know, and isn't that? I mean, I've, I've. That's exactly how I feel about Americans in general. Perhaps the most generous people on this earth, but don't you try and take something from them. They'll, they'll give it to you, but don't you try and take it. Don in Alabama, what a great call. Uh, line two, uh, Noel. Is it Noel in Virginia Beach? Yeah, Noel. Hey, Noel, how's it going? Ah, oh, pretty good. Uh, Noel, take us away. Good to see the Freedom Hut's in good hands. Uh, and uh, as far as the, Demo- the Democrats trying to beat Trump, they're not going to beat him because he can wait him out. And they're impotent already because just like Republicans, they before when the Republicans had the House, the Democrats had the Senate, they, they weren't able to get anything done. So, mm. I mean, they're not going to beat him. No way. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, is it, but is it, is it an impasse or, or is the White House in charge? I think the White House is in charge, but I mean, the Dems are trying to say, okay, we're just going to deny him the funding. And like I said, he could do the emergency declaration Mm. and take it from there. But he's trying to go the right route. But Mm. when you're dealing with intransigent Democrats, what do you expect? You know, you're not going to get anywhere. Do you think the uh, national emergency is coming? I hope so, because, I mean, I mean, I, I just find it hard to believe that the public can't, after seeing all the pictures of the Dems partying in Puerto Rico, Mm. they're not mad at them. And they wanted to go partying uh, in Davos as well at the World Economic Forum uh, this week too. Uh, Noel in Virginia Beach, thank you so much for the call. God, I love these calls today, ladies and gentlemen. Keep them rolling in. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. That's how you reach me at the Freedom Heart. My name is Raheem Kassam. Putting in here for Buck Sexton today, who I believe, Mr. Producer, am I right in saying is back tomorrow? Correct, I'm being told. Okay, good, because uh, the fans need the fans need their Mr. Sexton back. Um, I also wanted to say, because I always forget to do this, if you want to follow me and my work, RaheemKassam.com, R-A-H-E-E-M-K-A-S-S-A-M, uh, and the same at every single social media thing you can imagine. I'm on the Instagrams and the YouTubes and the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Patreons and the Parlors or Parlays, which is the new conservative one, and the Gabs, and so on and so forth. So whatever platform you're on, I'm sure you can find me uh, there if you're interested. That's my plug for myself for the time being. We've got Laura Loomer uh, joining us in just a moment. Quick break now. We'll be right back with more Buck Sexton Show in just a moment. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. My name's Raheem Kassam, filling in for the great Buck here today in the Washington, D.C., studios it's snowing outside again here in dc the government is still shut down nancy pelosi is grounded by president trump um but as i said in the first uh, in the first segment of this show a couple of hours ago it's not the only time nancy pelosi's been trolled this week i'm delighted to say we have on the line joining us now a good friend of mine somebody whose work i have both followed and supported over the years, conservative independent journalist Laura Loomer joins us now. Laura, good evening. Good evening. Thanks for having me, Raheem. 
Hey, absolutely. Laura, you are doing God's work out there, not least in trolling Nancy Pelosi. Tell us a little bit about what you did this week in, uh, you know, just a humanitarian action, I thought. Right. Yeah, so, you know, Nancy Pelosi, of course, um, has been very stubborn with President Trump and isn't uh, budging at all when it comes to approving $5 billion in the budget so that we can have a wall built. Because, you know, we have an absolute humanitarian crisis and everyone's welcome here. And Nancy and Chuck, they want open borders and, you know, they believe that asylum is a human right. And so I decided to uh, go to uh, California and I drove to Nancy Pelosi's multi-million dollar Napa Valley mansion. And I met some illegal alien amigos and we decided to hop her fence and make a sanctuary in her yard because everyone is welcome here, you know. And uh, we had a little fiesta in La Casa de Nancy, and it was really wonderful. And we pitched a, a little tent, and we wrote on the tent in red letters, immorality, because, you know, walls are an immorality, all right? And that's Nancy's favorite word. And so it was really nice. You know, I met these, uh, these illegals. They were from Mexico and Guatemala. And one of them even uh, told us they had a criminal record. So, you know, it doesn't matter, though. Facts don't matter. What matters is morality. And walls are an immorality. So everyone is welcome here, even MS-13. Well, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez said that last week, no, that it doesn't matter if she gets everything factually correct as long as she believes she's doing the moral thing. Do you think that uh, relativism is bleeding into the Democrat Party at large at the moment? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just an absolute absurdity at this point in time. And uh, I think that I think that uh, it's not even they're not making an effort at all to conceal their hatred. I mean, what they're doing right now, every single move, everything that they're doing is out of spite for President Trump mm. and just pure partisan politics. So mm. even if it goes against the uh, security of this country. So, I mean, we're at a point now where if Donald Trump uh, were to say, you know, I um you know, I, I would like to um, I would like to deport this individual because um, well, we already saw it right when Donald Trump, for example, when he deported uh, a Nazi, an actual Nazi from mm. New York City. Right. And the left criticized him because uh, ICE is the group that deported this Nazi. So Donald Trump literally deported a real life Nazi from this country, mm. and the left was complaining about it because they wanted to demonize him for uh, supporting ICE. So no matter what he does, right, whether he's deporting Nazis, deporting terrorists, finding the cure for cancer, finding the cure for AIDS, the left in this country is just hell-bent on mm. making his life misery, uh, which now, is why Nancy Pelosi, of course, canceled, um, you know, this, this, the State of the Union address. She didn't want uh, President Trump attending. Yeah, but now her junket's her junket's been cancelled. Now, uh, Laura, I want to put this to you, and I mean it in a in a in a complimentary way. Okay, um, you are gaslighting the left uh, like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez gaslights the right. You have this ability. I mean, you have been depersoned across Twitter and 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 Patreon and all these things. You have been had your accounts banned and removed. Uh, you famously um, handcuffed yourself to to Twitter HQ to highlight. Uh, the assault on conservatives uh, that, that, that Silicon Valley is undertaking. But you still managed to trend on Twitter, and you managed to trend on Twitter this week as well. You know, is this really going to come down to the things uh, uh, that you're doing, which is, you know, effectively fighting a mass culture war and attracting mass attention to these things with, with direct action? Yeah, uh, 
that's exactly what my plan is because, of course, you're right. I have been banned. I have been depersoned, and there is an active assault on me and many others in this country who are conservative in an attempt to silence us so that we don't have a voice and, you know, not even just a, a say on social media. They're coming after us financially. Uh, they're trying to get us banned, but I'm not going to go away. So every single time they try to silence me, I'm going to take it up a notch, right? And when I handcuff myself to Twitter, the left wrote articles like death of a provocateur, and they said, mm-hmm. well, Laura's done for. Her, her career's done. She's going to fade into irrelevancy. Well, I don't call trending number one on Twitter <laughs> and leading an illegal alien caravan into the Speaker of the House's front lawn. Uh, in other words, the third most powerful politician in this country's front yard and getting illegal aliens to try to open her door being irrelevant, right? And if I'm so irrelevant, then why are they so obsessed with me and writing articles about me every single day? <laughs> I know? quite agree. More power to your elbow so there, Laura. You'll see. It's only January. It's only January, Raheem. And this is how I'm <laughs> kicking off 2019. I, I filmed a video in my bed uh, a couple days ago when I said, stay tuned. You know, my next video, my first video of the year is going to be talked about on every single news channel. And what do you know? It was. It trended number one. And this is only January. My goal is to trend number one every single month this year and so i'm gonna come on do it. come on give us, a, give us give us give us a little hint where's the next one i don't know i have a few more fiestas to throw you know there's a lot of rich <laughs> democrats who have really nice casas and i got yeah. a lot of amigos i met yeah. a lot of people i was down in the border in mexico i met a lot of amigos who are coming we got forty thousand people raheem mm. we gotta put these people up in some place you know they need sandwiches <laughs> Laura, tell tell the audience. Laura, tell the audience because I'm sure everyone out there right now wants to follow you, but it's kind of difficult. Where can they still follow right. you, and how can they support your work? Yeah, right. So you can subscribe to my website, lauralumer.us, and then you can also follow me on Instagram at lumered because uh, that's what Nancy Pelosi had happen to her. She got lumered, and. Uh, you can support my work on PayPal still, uh, paypal.me slash Laura Loomer. But uh, I'm kind of in a place where all these companies are banning me. And so uh, if you don't want to support PayPal, um, you can uh, mail me a check the old-fashioned way, right? Uh, they have, That's they what have it's coming to. to. Move me. They have tried to move me into the Stone Age of, of using snail mail. But uh, you can send me a nice note. Just don't send me any, like, ricin, you know, or anything, <laughs> you know, that would kill me. Just, you know, send me money in nice letters. <laughs> I'm going to say, I don't have much money anymore, uh, Laura. I'm, I'm, I'm impoverished now. I'll send you a box of chocolates. Laura Luma, uh, citizen. Chocolates, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> citizen. We could be pen pals. Exactly. You're the, you're the only. You're the only. You're the. Uh, you're the only Rahim I'll ever write notes to. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Luma, thank you so much for joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, that's Laura Luma. L O M E R. Make sure if you are able to, you are imbibing of her work and supporting her work we need frontline fighters like laura and i'm proud to say i've been supporting her for a while we'll be right back after this short break welcome back to the buck sexton show i'm raheem kassam broadcasting live from the freedom hut in washington dc coming back to you guys on the phone lines now we'll start with paul in upstate new york paul good evening Good evening, Raheem. You're doing a great job throwing in for Buck. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it greatly. Paul, the mic's yours. Okay. Uh, I bartend in a place that uh, I know several Trump supporters, and I heard you say earlier that his support wanes a little bit with him uh, backing off on, you know... That's what we're supposed to believe the polls are telling us, yeah. Uh, polls are full of it. <laughs> I've never heard. I've never heard more support in my entire life, 
Wow. I even hear from I even hear support from people who didn't like Trump that they believe that he should stick to his guns because that's what he ran on. We have a we have a senator in upstate New York who she has a tendency not to tell the truth. Mm. And uh, her she she promised she would serve four years if she won election. By the way, there's no way I would vote for her, but she won. Mm. And two weeks. Two weeks after she promised it, she's throwing her hat in the ring for running for the president of the United States. So uh, that means her first thing she did was lie before she ran. But Paul, but Paul, she felt the divine providence, you know, the the hand of history on her shoulder. <laughs> you know, you yeah. you surely can't. You know, when when something like that intervenes, <laughs> quite clearly. Oh, yeah, I get, I'm standing in a church parking lot because I just helped out at the church. Well, I didn't help out at the church. I'm picking my son up from, he was in the church with a Boy Scout meeting. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, I went to the, ch- believe me when I tell you, there is no divine inf- intervention <laughs> for her. <laughs> it's, the other, it's, it's, the other end of, it's the other end of that spectrum that she's going to end up in, I believe. Ooh. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, Paul, thank you for conveying your, uh, your patron's views uh, to us here on the Buck Sexton Show. You heard Paul there, ladies and gentlemen, the support increasing and intensifying for President Trump during this uh, shutdown standoff. Uh, let's ask Ruth in Illinois on line three what she thinks about this all. Ruth, good evening. Hi. Uh, nice to talk to you. Great to Hi. talk to you, Ruth. It's all, it's all yours. Take us away. Hello. Yeah, go right ahead. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to say in regards to the letter that the president wrote to Pelosi, mm-hmm. they're calling it childish. I say checkmate. And why? He, he's responding in kind. He's, he's, to me, that was the response he should have gotten. And why, why do you, I mean... She tried to stop him, or may well end up stopping him, giving the State of the Union address from Congress in a couple of weeks' time. Um, why do you think that uh, President Trump responded in kind, uh, rather than just saying, well, we're going to go give the speech anyway? Do you think this uh, is a show of force and a show from his end uh, that he ain't backing down anytime soon? Well, it, it seems to me that... Um he had said at one time it, when she, it looked like she might be the speaker yes. that he said he would like to get along with her and he would very much uh, try to do so. But mm. if she wanted to play games, he could play them also. He did and say he, that. He did say that. I recall that. So you're fully behind this. How long do you foresee this shutdown going on for? And, and, and how does it affect you? Uh, well, does it does it make you more in his corner, less in his corner? How do you how do you how do you process this? Well, I I have been in his corner, so it's hard to say. But I definitely am still there, and I'm I think he's our only hope anyway. I mean, I just don't see um, the other side getting in uh, completely in control, like president and the Senate. Mm would be the worst thing that could happen to our country. Okay, so Ruth, one, one word answer to this. Does he win or does he lose on this? He'll win. Ruth in Illinois, predicting it there. Thank you very much for the call here on the Buck Sexton Show. Um, I have an article out in uh, the American Spectator 
today uh, that actually I wrote last week uh, and only managed to get around sending it, uh, filing it uh, to uh, to a reputable outlet uh, yesterday. Uh, it's called because I was having a little fun with the title. Here's how Dry January makes me better than you. <laughs> um, little little uh, little dig there, but it's it's effectively a thousand words or so. Uh, that sounds like a lot, but it's about a four-minute, five-minute read um, about a process that I go through every year now, which is called Dry January. It's a very British invention, uh, which began in, I think, 2013. Uh, I picked it up three years ago where I said to myself, look, uh, between the December, Christmas, boozy parties and, well, the rest of my boozy life, um, I needed a detox period. And not only did I need a detox period this year because I went especially heavy in December, uh, but I needed a detox period because um, the year, last year, was very, very, very difficult. I mean, I was on a plane uh, almost every other day going somewhere else in the world uh, to meet some political leader or whatever. You know, it j just just doing the day job. And I would medicate with poor sleep, lots of booze, uh, poor food, etc., etc. So towards the end of last year, I decided, okay, it's time to get in shape. And I've become a little bit evangelical about uh, uh, dry January um, and my little fitness kick. So I wanted to, I wanted to write about that. I'm 32 years old, if you're wondering, uh, but I felt like I was 55 years old, um, <laughs> if I'm honest with you. Uh, between the between the cigarettes and the gins and and the wine and everything else that I was doing. Um, so this month, I, on January 1st, gave up smoking cigarettes forever. I will still treat myself to a cigar and a pipe from time to time because you don't inhale those and there are fewer chemicals and so on and so forth. And this is where I get some of you tweeting at me saying, no, that's not true. It's a myth. But that's the way I'm doing it. Uh, but no more cigarettes for me, and gone off the booze for January. Now, I thought it would be very, very difficult. It usually is quite difficult. So difficult, in fact, that I give myself three cheat days in the month if I really need them on the basis that I give £50 sterling, which is about 70-odd dollars, to charity per day that I cheat. Now, I'm delighted to inform you that I have cheated zero days uh, this month so far. Uh, and I intend not to at all, what with fewer than two weeks left to go. Uh, but I wanted to, uh, I guess I wanted to extol the virtues of it uh, to you guys, if I might, for a moment. You know, you lose weight. The average dry January participant loses, I think, about four or five pounds over the course of the month. I've lost more than that because I'm going to the gym every day at the moment as well. Liver function improves. Uh, chances of getting cancer declines almost immediately. Um, and, and, you know, my experiences with it, uh, yeah, okay, I struggled to sleep a little because I was using alcohol as a means by which to knock me out. Uh, I've had a little, <laughs> a few withdrawal symptoms, getting a little bit twitchy here and there, and I am hungry a lot, but I guess that's probably partly because of the workouts as well. Um, but I suppose my favorite part of it is that you know, well, come February 1st, quite frankly, which I intend to call wet February, um, but come February 1st, and especially during the Christmas period, uh, where you've got all these parties to go to and family to see it, etc., and the eggnog and the wine and the champagne and the beer is flowing, you can be a little bit more loose about it, or louche about it. 
um, without feeling as guilty because you know that you're getting that detox in January, don't you know? So if you want to read my column on it, it's up at the American Spectator. That's spectator.org on the World Wide Web. It's called Here's How Dry January Makes Me Better Than You. It came out a few hours ago and is getting good reception from my friends. A couple of the Puritan in the comment, a couple of the Puritans in the comment section uh, say it's a disgusting article. It shouldn't even be there. I'm talking you about are a rude, horrible things. Person. <laughs> horrible things like booze. Um, but yeah, I just want to talk about that, if you don't mind. And if you do, well, sorry, too late. We're going to go to a quick break now. When we come back, Ian Walters, who's one of the execs at the American Conservative Union, they've got a big conference coming up called CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. It will actually be my 10th CPAC this year. If Ian uh, allows me to attend, we'll ask him live on air, put him on the spot. Um, is he going to Is he going to let me in? Uh, I'm looking forward to talking to a good buddy of mine, Ian Walters, in just a moment. Stay tuned. We'll be right back here on The Buck Sexton Show after this break. Welcome back to The Buck Sexton Show. I'm Raheem Kassam, broadcasting live from Washington, D.C. Last few moments here, I wanted to spend it with my good buddy, Ian Walters, the communications director at the American Conservative Union. Uh, Ian, good evening. Raheem, how do you do, my friend? I do very well, as you know. Ian, um, you've got CPAC coming up which I know uh, elicits uh, great excitement and nausea within you. Uh, <laughs> it's fact check, mostly true. Uh, tell us about CPAC. Uh, tell us why people should be involved. And as I promised the audience I would do, I want to put you on the spot and say it's going to be my 10th year attending CPAC. Will you let me in the front doors? <laughs> we'll have to see how you behave for the rest of the uh, rest of the uh, Buck Sexton show. Uh, but I, uh, my my gut says, and I'm not my gut is not often wrong that uh, there will be a Rahim Kassam sighting uh, okay. at CPAC in I'm one right form um, or another. Um, so tell us what what is, what is CPAC, Ian? Well, thank you. But what is CPAC? Because we've got very little time. So stop flattering me and start start pitching CPAC. Uh, what is it? Um, who's coming? Uh, what are the speakers? Who are the speakers you've announced so far? Uh, and why should people uh, take the uh, what I call? Uh, well, I was born into a Muslim family, right? And and I left Islam ten years ago. But the pilgrimage I do every year is to CPAC. And why should other people do that pilgrimage? No, well, CPAC, of course, stands for the Conservative Political Action Conference, and it's the largest annual gathering of conservatives on the planet Earth. We've been putting this together since 1974, and it's where Ronald Reagan got his start before he was president. And the event was really founded uh, as an avenue for Ronald Reagan's style of conservatism to have uh, an opportunity to go mainstream and to bring people together, conservatives of all stripes. And we've remained true uh, to that vision um, as much as we can. Mm. Uh, it is uh, overwhelmed in the past uh, 15 years with students. Um, we're somewhere between 50% and 55% every year with a lot of college students who are very excited, who are active on their campuses. That being said, this is an event for everybody. Oftentimes mm. people will come up to us and say, well, how, who can go to CPAC? Can I go to CPAC? Raheem, everybody can go to CPAC. And all you have to do is go to CPAC.org and get yourself a ticket. And we want to have all of your listeners and friends there this year. Um, one of the uh, first speakers we announced was... Uh, uh, broadcast legend Mark Levin. Mm -hmm. and his wonderful wife, Julie Strauss Levin, gave a presentation last year on uh, uh, immigration and, and what uh, activists have to do in order to save the republic. Um, and Mark is very sophisticated and understands that young people 
are often um, uh, uh, the battleground, that a lot of the fights, conservatives' fights, are generational. Uh, my folks uh, uh, fought the fights of their generation. You and I are fighting the fights of our generation, and, and, uh, and my kids, and God willing, one day your kids, will, will, will fight the fights and, and we'll pass the torch to them. Don't, you, is, uh, don't you wish that stuff on me? <laughs> oh, oh, come on! Come on. It'll be a, it'll be, she'll be she'll, she'll be a lucky girl. That's that's for sure. Um, but it, one of the wonderful aspects of it, and if you were to just read the mainstream media press reports of this thing, mm. you would get the wrong impression. You would think that we were all uh, dancing around with horns and tails and doing God knows what. But the fact is, no, that I am. what doesn't get reported is what a fantastic. Uh, and positive and good energy type of event this mm. is. There's a very, you know, the professional term would be, well, it's a great networking opportunity, which it mm. is. But on a human level, it is uh, designed specifically to remind conservatives of all stripes that you're not alone and that throughout the year you ought to stay in contact with each other, share resources, and that when we work together, we can, we can achieve great things, and uh, especially when we take on uh, the left. Our registration numbers are up significantly this year, and folks have asked me, well, why do you think that is? And when it's all said and done, we'll do uh, post-event surveys and have, uh, have better data on it. Mm. My sense is that something happened. Um, uh, in late in t uh, 2018 with the uh, Brett Kavanaugh uh, hearing in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee where conservatives understood what the left was about um, and that they were about destroying uh, and pushing off uh, the grid, uh, the folks that are, uh, that, that are in alignment with you and I. And um, I think we're enjoying a moment in American conservatism where we're getting over petty squabbles. We understand what's at stake. We understand uh, uh, what the other team uh, is seeking to achieve, and we're ready to fight. We're ready to do it with smiles on our faces. Well, look, Ian, that's all well and good, but when the bloody hell is it? February 27th to March 2nd. That's February 27th to March 2nd. We are 40-some days away from this extravaganza. Um, it is a four-day event. The first day is dedicated to activism training, where we have the best uh, campaign trainers and media trainers uh, uh, in politics assembled. And all of our attendees uh, are welcome to learn from these guys. Take notes. It's a, uh, a dynamic classroom setting where you get equipped with the skills that you can take back home to be successful in your communities and figure yeah. out how to organize people to, uh, to stand up for what you believe in. Look, um, you know, people will be thinking, Raheem, why have you just let somebody on to advertise for the last segment of this show? And the truth is because I really, truly believe in it. I love it. Uh, I don't receive any uh, payment or inducement uh, to do so. I have been going now. This will, as I say, be my 10th year in attendance. Uh, and whether in, as in the past couple of years, and I've spoken there, uh, but I've also learned so much from attending the events and attending the panel discussions, uh, meeting people. I can honestly say with my hand on my heart, Ian, that without CPAC and the American Conservative Union, there would be no Raheem Kassam. Now, you now you have to wear that around your neck, unfortunately, for the rest of your <laughs> life. Um, but, but, you know, it's true. I would have made never made the friends, never made the uh, um, uh, inroads I've made into conservative media and political spheres were it not for what you guys do so uh, we've got about five seconds left so just say thank you and goodbye Ian. <laughs> thank you goodbye and i hope that all of you will join us go to cpac.org to learn more 
That was Ian Walters, a great friend of mine and a wonderful musician, by the way. Um, if you look him up online, uh, you'll find more of his uh, work. And of course, you know, you can't spell Walters without Wall, so we love him even more. Uh, this has been The Buck Sexton Show. I have been and will remain Raheem Kassam. You'll be joined by the best a man can get tomorrow, Buck Sexton. Uh, I want to say thank you to the wonderful, brilliant production staff of this program. They're absolutely brilliant. And uh, you guys all have a great evening. <laughs>